Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are in the series Introduction into Tech Sales Management. We did the first part of this episode, this series, last week, and that was really all about the learning opportunities you have in your first year. Uh, it, it's such a new role, going from carrying a bag, uh, being responsible on the hook for managing all customer uh, relationships and new business, to all of a sudden you're the uh, guy or girl in charge of uh, running that sales team. So a lot of this, Bobby, as we talked about, were uh, learnings that we had as we made our transition into management uh, years ago. No doubt. And I, it, I think the first section may look like a lot of what not to do's, but they really were all of our mistakes that we made and our first passes. And uh, we're just trying to prevent you guys from making those mistakes yourselves. Indeed. So the first, uh, what we're going to cover today, the second part of this series, the second episode is really about you've gotten established, you've, uh, you've kind of you know, had your, your learnings uh, for the first six months or let's say one year, and now you're kind of hitting your strides. You're starting to uh, be a good coach to your team. So what we're going to cover today are really four uh, broad topics, and we'll dive into each of these as we go on. The first section is around running your business. Um, that's from coaching your team to being results-oriented, uh, having a vision and a strategy. Uh, it's, we're going to go next into leading your team. Uh, making sure that you're not micromanaging, uh, being part of your employee's success. We're going to talk about recruiting. So it's another, you know, there's many full-time jobs. As being a first-line sales manager, recruiting is one of those full-time jobs that you'll have and you'll be responsible for. And then the bonus we'll cover is around cross-group collaboration. Bobby, I think you put this really well uh, before, as we've discussed it previously. Your, your team is is probably just a fraction of who is on the hook from a quota standpoint for the for an overall number. Uh, we've both worked for organizations that have dozens of people that are responsible for your team's success. Uh, so we're going to spend a bit of time on that. I, I like to just remind everybody, and maybe not everybody on this podcast knows it, but you know the support team that I had at Dell was... Uh, 50 plus probably, meaning when I sold a deal, there were probably 50 people from leaders to individual contributors to people that are on partner teams that are getting paid on those deals. And it's massive. And to coordinate that group and make sure everybody has the same message going forward as an individual contributor is a big job. Forget the fact that you have somewhere between four and 10 direct reports and those four to 10 people have teams of 50. So you, you could have as many as 500 virtual team members that you're running in a big organization at an, at an IT company like we all work for. So it's a big job, and we hope to share some of our insights and thoughts on how you can manage that in your first manager job. Sounds great. So let's jump into it. The first part of this is really just the, the cadence of running your business. And one of the most important components of that are, are being a good coach to your team uh, it's what you'll spend, I don't know, a good majority of your time will be one-on-one -on -one with account executives or with well, extended teams. not every manager feels that way. So <laughs> that might be the first call out there that, you know, the, the hard part for, for me when I became a manager was to not just go knock down deals. Um, we talked a little bit about that using yeah. your your title as power. And, you know, man, I, I was calling everybody, getting helping everybody. I felt like I was extremely valuable. 
But but the feedback I got was that from my team was that I wasn't helping them. I wasn't being a good coach, right? So it's really hard and it's really tempting as the A player sales rep to go knock down every deal that has a slight problem in it that you're good at solving instead of coaching your team. You Your job has gone from sales rep to people leader. You're a manager and your job is to be a coach. So, you know, uh, I guess the only big time player coach some people might remember is Pete Rose, right? He was a manager and a player at the same time. But his job was to make the team great, not to just do his one function anymore. So you got to be a good coach and you should spend, I would say, 65% of your time leading your team, meaning one on ones, shadowing them, giving them feedback, coaching them. And if you're not, then you're you're already on a, uh, on the wrong track for sure. Sorry to interrupt you there, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's spot on. And I, I think what's a short term vision of this, and we talked about this a little bit in the first episode. A, a short-term uh, leader would would kind of be a super AE, right? They would they would jump in, they would help close the big deal. The, the problem with that is it's unsustainable. And if you want to run yourself uh, out of energy in six months to a year's time and be unsuccessful, uh, try to be that super AE for a year. That's a that's a recipe for disaster. And I, I think one of the biggest components or most important components of being a good coach is to be present and aware. I, I worked for a, he was really a great manager. Uh, but one of the, he was he was kind of a tech geek. And one of his challenges was he'd get, uh, he wore a smartwatch and he'd get really distracted whenever email would come in. He'd, keep, he'd kind of keep his phone away. But he would all the time be looking down at his watch. We'd have our one-on-ones and he'd be looking down at his watch. And there is no way you could be fully invested in a conversation if you're continuing to look away and continuing to be distracted by email or text messages coming in. And if you, th- if you, think, if you think that you are still 100% part of the conversation, I can guarantee the person on the other side of the table doesn't believe you're part of the conversation. No doubt. And to me, it's the most wasteful opportunity that I see managers make, both in front of their employees and in front of customers, quite frankly. You know, they always want to get involved in meetings. Take me to see your customers. It is my biggest pet peeve when you take that manager and they are on their phone. I mean, look, I'm wanting them to give make me a better rep. Even still today, I want them to give me some insight because to me, being a better rep means more money. And if I'm a better rep, I'm going to close a better deal. So I want them to be critiquing me. I want them to be engaged. And that's the big miss. So in one-on-ones, you've got to put it all down. If you use OneNote, great. That's the only reason you should have your screen up, OneNote or Evernote. If you're taking notes in your computer, otherwise, close your lid on your laptop, put the phone away, take off your smartwatch or turn on Do Not Disturb. Just get rid of it. If you if you do, you'll be amazed. Those hour one-on-ones can maybe become 30-minute one-on-ones. But it means a lot to the individual, and I do believe it still means a lot to customers when cu- when you are engaged in a customer meeting versus in your phone. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's something we all – look, there's so many distractions out there. There's so much stuff flying around. And I, I used to I used to be so nervous. I'd, be, I'd go for a meeting that would last four hours, and I would, I would come back, and I'd have uh, 64 new emails or 23 new emails. So I, I kind of got into this – this pattern of being worried about what I was missing and not living in the moment. And there's some great stuff out there. Uh, we've had guests on the show that have talked about 
books they've read and meditation and stuff that they do to kind of be in the moment. This is, if you struggle with this, there are some great tools out there uh, and we'll include a link in the show notes with some to ways to start uh, thinking about this. Uh, but it will not only help you in customer meetings, it will certainly help you when it comes to leading your team and people. I think it's also important, Bobby, to be uh, really results oriented and focus with your team about uh, what your priorities are for your team. So with, with the team that I manage, for us, it's all about um, Christmas and how we execute our deals and how we work with and communicate to our team. And I, I think the challenge is working in a sales organization is that there are so many um, you know, KPIs that the business is measuring. We're getting tens of emails from, uh, from management every day. Um, and there's so many different competing uh, messages out there. And I think it's it's, I think it's really important for a leader to be clear about what his or her expectations are. There's no doubt there's there's dozens of polar things that are pulling us in different directions as a team, as an individual contributor. And what I try to do when, I, when I've managed teams is make it clear to them how easy it is to knock out the noise, right? So one thing that I think every tech company probably struggles with is quarterly training. I don't know if you guys had quarterly training or, or still do at work there or not, Brian, but you know, at Dell EMC, we had six 30 minute things, webinars you had to watch to get, check that list, right? It's pretty easy to put a reminder on your calendar week one of each quarter to knock out that training. It's normally the slowest week, but it's every quarter, six out of seven people haven't done their training by the middle of the quarter. We mm -hmm. get 900 reports. We get 900 red X's on reports. And it, it's such an easy thing to solve for. So if you can manage and create that rhythm of the business for your team, that they know those things have to get knocked out, then the big rocks are easy to focus on. But when those little rocks aren't getting knocked out, that they have to be done. Like there's That's not optional, yeah. so we have to get it done then the big rocks become real easy to focus on and, and gives your team the ability to be a lot more productive and a lot more results oriented on the things like revenue that make the most sense. But I can assure you maybe second quarter of, of every team I've ever managed, a quarterly training is not a problem. We get that stuff knocked out and uh, knocking down the small rocks is a way to solve for the big rocks as well. That in, in removing roadblocks too, if you think about uh, again, how many emails are coming down? And I, you, we've all worked for managers that will just, as soon as they get a message from their manager, it's just a control F just to forward on that message to you. And it could be, uh, you may get three of them on a Monday afternoon, two more on Tuesday, six more on Wednesday. Um, and how, how distracting is that to people that are carrying a quota? Some people are great about just ignoring it, which that could be that training, right? So at some point, it's going to have to be addressed if it's something that is critical. But what I try to do with these um, with these kind of requests from the business or asks from the business is maybe I get 10 a week, but maybe only three of those are critical. Well, is it critical that I send those three on sporadically throughout the week? What if I were to, now, of course, there's always going to be an emergency or something that's going to pop up. But what if I were to consolidate those requests and get them out on a you know, a Monday morning or a Monday afternoon at a set time. So I, th I think it's do everything you can to remove roadblocks uh, from the team. To that point, I think it's key that you do it on a Monday morning. Uh, I, I would say the last couple of years, my manager has been fantastic about not sending emails on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I'm a big proponent. I, I hate the fact that managers will send things on Friday at 8 p.m., Saturday at 10 a.m., Saturday at 5 p.m., you know, if you're a new manager, you might be trying to save the world, 
but it it teaches your team that you're expecting that of them and and I don't think that's a good good strategy for a young manager to to email all hours of the night all hours of the weekend just a a bobby tip for you agreed so bobby let's next talk about leading a team and before we get into that uh, I think and it's been two months now. I think everyone has must have already signed up for Pigeon.tv. That's P-I-J-N.tv. Um, Bobby, you signed up for it? I am signed up for it. It takes less than 30 seconds. Subscribers to Pigeon TV are entered in a weekly raffle for thousands of dollars in prize money. So tell us how it works. So Pigeon TV delivers short video content on a weekly basis that explains the insight behind a relevant emerging tech company. Uh, this is uh, co-founded by one of the great friends of the show, Phil Wilhelm. He and the Pigeon TV team are doing great work over there, and they're making it. They're kind of sweetening the pot for Tech Sales Show listeners. Go to Pigeon TV and subscribe. Enter the promo code TSS in the promo code field, and you will automatically be entered double the amount of times for their weekly prize raffles in the month of. We did January, February, and next month's March. So get on it, boys and girls. You got a chance to win real money. And this is not, Bobby, you were talking about the uh, sales enablement videos that were 30 minutes long that you had to kind of like keep your browser window window open while you're filling out an expense report. This is not that. This is uh, uh, videoed and edited by a great group. Uh, Phil is the, uh, is the show host for it. These are just quick two-minute training videos. It'll get you educated on who the new players in the market are. You got to check it out. Pigeon TV is the insight you need regarding emerging tech companies, along with the prize money you deserve. Go subscribe today. Beautiful. So, Bobby, let's talk about leading a team. Um, first kind of topic under this is ensuring that you uh, empower your team and not uh, micromanaging. Have you ever worked for a manager or how many micromanagers have you worked for over the years? A few. Um, and, and, and it's I would say more often than not, they don't think they're micromanaging. They think they're letting you go, uh, but they it, it's maybe not so much micromanaging now that I think about it out loud, but it's more the do it my way or you're wrong kind of a manager, right? So everything you do is critiqued and or changed. Uh, the way this email was written could have been written this way, and it's, it's all driving them into their style, which I probably was at fault doing myself, but um, when you're the new manager, it is tough. It's like it's like all the bad things that ever happened to you is what you start doing right off the bat, and uh, we we are better than that, people. So don't don't become a micromanager. I think what's what's great about managing a sales team is that you you're working with so many different sales personalities and people that have, you know, sometimes they've got five years experience, sometimes they've got two decades worth of experience or three decades worth of experience, and and some really innovative approaches and unique ways of running a deal and, and unique ways of uh, presenting. Um, respect that. Appreciate that. I've got folks on my team that are better sellers than I am and are more creative than I am. I think one of my strengths is, is uh, running a great and tight sales cycle and evaluation process. So you can still greatly appreciate uh, the folks that you have and the uniqueness that they have without expecting them to have the exact same characteristics as you are, you have. And that may seem really obvious, but wait until you're actually running the team. You may be in the thick of that right now. What you've got to do is make a conscious decision about what's most critical to you. And we talked before uh, about kind of aligning a vision and a strategy for this. It comes into this as well. Part of your vision and strategy needs to be what 
what are some optional things for the team when it comes to deal execution and managing managing uh, customer relationships, and what are those um, what are those critical things, and what are those things that you can be lax with as well. So next, let's jump into uh, the employee and how a manager should express interest in their success and well-being. Um, too often, I think it falls on deaf ears when employees and managers are having those one-on-ones and employees talk about what they really want. And I think companies do employees this justice by also making it almost a requirement to do what they want them to do. So that, that being said, the example is Microsoft. If you don't want to be a people manager at Microsoft, you're pretty much dead in the water. There's not much, there's not much, when I was there anyway, there wasn't much valor for being a long-term individual contributor. And I don't think that does some people justice. I mean, that's their career aspiration. Some people want to be great salespeople for long periods of time. So when when people say, this is what I want to do, and it doesn't match kind of that company credo, managers don't pay much attention. But you really should. You, you need a balanced team. I thought everyone needed to be like Bobby Doss when I was a young manager, because what else would you want to be? But uh, I'm kidding. But what happened was, I pushed away a lot of really good people off my teams because they didn't want to work the way I wanted to work. They didn't want to have the career that I wanted to have. So they went and sunk out managers that would would support their goals. So it's key that you listen to people's desires and their their metrics for success and then their overall well-being. Um, I I, I know there's a few people listening that know that I don't have the most emotional uh, intelligence in the world uh, when it comes to that stuff. But Brian, you've always been pretty good at that stuff. I mean, well-being is a big deal. You got to know when people are having good days and bad days. Indeed, I, I think. Well, I don't know that I did a great job with folks that that wanted to be a lifetime individual contributor. I don't know that I did a great job of, you know, embracing and appreciating that. I think I did do an okay job at helping people get where they want wanted to go, and you did a, a an amazing job with that. There's a number of folks that you've helped grow from a career standpoint. And I think I, I, I always think back to this manager I had one time and he, I had an employee on the team. She was a top performer year after year after year. Uh, and she wanted to move to California. And uh, she had, she had stated that objective early on. She was looking to get into leadership. Uh, it was her lifetime kind of family goal to get out that way closer to family. And this awesome opportunity presented itself within the company. And my manager at the time the, the M2 um, at the time was like, man, how do you, why would you let her do that? You know, she's a top performer on your team. And I remember thinking like how selfish that is in this, in this, mm-hmm. well, are we, we're willing to lose her uh, over some selfish request to keep her in Texas over getting her out to her family in, in, uh, in California. And furthermore, what kind of message do you think that that's just going to, as good as she was, what kind of message does that send to the rest of the team? Um, if I'm not going to help someone achieve their goals, I think if you if you are a manager or a leader that embraces uh, and appreciates the goals for the people on your team, no matter what that does to you from a short term business standpoint, you will grow a, a, a high performing sales team. Yeah, I heard even in the last six months, you know, what would that M2 think or care about what you want? It doesn't benefit them, and that was in an op- pretty open discussion, right? Uh, and that M2 kind of had a, a history of me, 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 me. And and I just got to say that, as Brian just said, it, it's not just a cliche. It's reality. If you do the right thing for a long period of time, you are going to be better off for it. Yes, 
you might have a bad quarter. Yes, you might have a lot of little bad things happen because that superstar rep leaves. But it does give you the opportunity to grow someone else. Go do your recruiting the way you should have been doing. And, and give create a lot of other little merit badges for your own career uh, that wouldn't present themselves if you don't let that person go. So it's a big deal. You should let that person go for sure. It, it Like I said, it could, it could have some short-term impacts to your business, of course, losing the... Uh, she was number one or number two on the team at the time. Like that has short-term ramifications, and we'll get into recruiting and the importance of of having a bench always rolling. Uh, but man, when you when you set a culture of helping people get promoted, you are you will be the manager people want to go work for, and and nothing beats that because then uh, it makes recruiting a heck of a lot easier. Uh, the, the next one's like really uh, this is probably one of the most important to me ones to me is having uh, having key technical skills. And I mean kind of technical sales skills that you can help uh, the team with. You can help advise the team in pursuits. I, so many so many managers, once they get into that role, they, they almost kind of pride themselves in, oh, man, I forgot about what this product does or what that product does. To me, that's not that's not some bragging point. It's it's laziness to me. It, we, you still have, uh, as, we, as we've been joking about this entire series, not even a joke, you still have a hundred percent quota accountability. Why on earth would you allow those those technical skills, those functional technical skills, to erode? It, it's going to be dreadfully bad for your business. the The team needs it, the customer needs it, and the business needs it. Um, there's no reason, other than this example, that executives for every big company uh, knows our pro- knows their products and knows how they interact with one another and knows all the ISVs that connect to them better than anyone else because they know that that transcends the entire organization. When Michael Dell speaks at a keynote address, he's not just guessing what his server line's going to do this year or his storage line or his software components. The leader at Workday doesn't not understand the financials widget or what's going on in financials or human capital. They, They know everything about the technology aspects of it. And you should too as a first-line manager or a player coach because the team needs that person. And if they only see you calling on your SE manager or your the, the specialty team to, to answer questions, they're going to think that's how they should act. And I, I think it's key that you be really smart. We talk about this in a lot of different episodes, that you be the best at your product that you can possibly be. There's no doubt that that will transcend your career for sure. And you can even encapsulate this into different talking points. Uh, there's some great leaders in the in the UK at Workday that I've had the chance to kind of work alongside. And as they've become more senior in the organization, their talk track becomes more senior. They start talking about lessons learned from past projects, uh, ways to structure the project team. You're certainly going to be leveling up and changing your game, um, but you cannot lose grasp of, of some of the more... Uh, technical aspects of it, or you'll lose relevance in the meeting. The, the, the customers look at who is peer to them in the room for guidance. And if you know nothing about your product or technology or you start to lose that, you'll stop being looked at. And that's uh, that'll kind of lead to a downward spiral for you. This is a bigger deal uh, and will continue to be a bigger deal uh, with the internet. I know it's not old news, but with as much information that's out on the internet and the, the, the polling discussions that are out on the internet and maybe the good information and the bad information that's on the internet and blogs and and forums and everything else the customer may may know the product better than you if you're not on your a game uh and that that would be embarrassing for me i wouldn't i won't let that happen 
For sure. So recruiting, uh, we, we kind of teased it uh, in, the, in the previous section. Um, it's another full-time job. I, I think um, I, I constantly have one-on-one set up on my calendar of folks in different markets to go have coffee with, uh, to understand where they're at in their career, when they're looking to make a change, even without any spots open on my team. It's important for me to know who's out in the marketplace. Um, because we all know if you if you are not uh, benching uh, candidates for a role that may come open, uh, you're going to find yourself without a seller for six months, eight months. It's so hard to find good people these days. And as you say, this is another full-time job. If you don't fill a hole quickly, that means you have to fill that hole for your team as well. You have to cover those accounts. So you're just going to add another full-time job to yourself if you're not always recruiting. This one is, is one that when you get that team built, which is your job to get your headcount full, and when you get that team full and you're coaching that team, your eye immediately falls away from the recruiting ball. You've got to stay on it. I've not met, and no offense to any recruiters that are listening, but a recruiter can't keep your bench warm for you. They, they, they can find you some candidates when the time comes, but you've got to be the one that is enticing people, telling that story, what's going well, What's the work-life balance like? And, and just constantly be sharing that with people in and around your network. And hopefully you have other people doing the same thing for you so that you have a warm group of, call it five to ten people, that you could get two quality candidates out of when you have an open headcount. And how important, Bobby, is it you as a, as a first-line manager, second-line manager to have a – uh, somebody ready to go to backfill you if you're promoted or if you change roles too. I mean, I, I think as an individual contributor, I didn't, I always kind of thought having a bench uh, to replace you was always uh, like, I didn't thought, well, they'll just find somebody. It's a very common discussion for M2s is to understand who's going to replace the manager when he or she gets promoted or moves on to a different role. Um, have, have that kind of stuff worked out and thought through too. Uh, Cause you'll be, you'll be asked about it for sure. And that will make your team happy, too. Someone on your team wants to be a manager, and maybe maybe they're a good fit. Maybe they're not a good fit. Maybe you think they're a good fit, and others think they're a bad fit. So, uh, And you're having those one-on-one discussions, talking about your succession planning, having a few people tapped, talking to them, talking to your people around you that are your peers to say, what do you think, what do they need to work on, is a key part of recruiting for the next stage. Because I'll tell you this, I've been in a situation where I had a chance to get promoted, but I didn't have a good backfill, and that prevented me from getting promoted. And I ended up going to work for Microsoft at the time. But the the net of it was I I didn't have a I didn't have a succession plan, so I didn't get to go forward. And it was a big big learning curve, big learning experience for me for sure. No doubt. And finally, Bobby, let's talk about cross group collaboration. Um, we we kind of let off with this to a certain extent, but you know we have. You know, for every one person on your team, how many would you say uh, back in the Dell days? How, how many people would you say um, are getting also paid on something that uh, you're selling as an account executive? Ten? Yeah, it's somewhere in the ten to twelve range for sure. You think six product groups, six salespeople, six specialists, and six SEs, partner, you know, managers on each one of those uh, pillars as well. So the team grows. Um, and they all start asking questions as the deal gets bigger or the end of the quarter comes closer. Um, you got to find a good way to collaborate. Obviously, I think every manager uh, in most tech companies do some sort of a quarterly review where they invite these V teams in. They kind of state their their plan for the quarter and their big deals on the quarter. 
but it's ongoing, you know, from marketing teams to partner teams to product groups. It's not something that you can just kind of half-ass or hope for. You've got to have a rhythm uh, because the the downside of not having a rhythm is you're always going to need something from these people. And when you just call them when you have a need, you're going to have a black eye as that guy or girl for your whole career. That was one of my one of my favorite mentors had that exact opinion for me. He was like, do not form these relationships when the going is tough. Form these relationships when you have no asks from them. Understand from you. So sit down with your team as you get to know your team and, and you get to know where the business is at. I mean, you could even do this like right as you're starting the role. Uh, get a feel for what, what your strengths and weaknesses are on your extended team because this will certainly have an impact as to what you can sell and how you can sell it the strength of these groups. So know where the weaknesses are, the strengths are, and go to those people uh, as well. Invite them to your team meeting. You surely have a weekly team meeting of some sort, or maybe it's bi-weekly. Let them present. Let them present from afar. Let them present in person. Uh, ask their teammates, the, the individual contributors. Let them speak about their products. There's a way that you can enable all these people in real time in your business to take probably work off of your plate but we just talked about being smart on your product. What better way to be smart on your product than letting the product teams present to your team during team meetings? There's there's ways that you can, in essence, cross all this together uh, in a plan of attack and, and you knock it all down as once, but without a lot of coaching and a lot of help from your manager, that's not just gonna come natural to you when you take on that first manager job. And we're all familiar with the ace in the hole scenario. I, I don't know if, if you have experience, I certainly do have, have you find somebody on the product team or a deployment team that just has a wealth of experience, is fantastic in front of customers, and no one really knows about him or her. And they're uh, most oftenly underappreciated. And underappreciated. if you show just a little bit of appreciation for that person, they'll do anything you want them to do on your team for your team. Man, it's so it's so critical to find these people. That's something I task our team with is is knowing who, if you're in a tight spot, you've you've established a relationship with this person, you've helped them out from a career standpoint, uh, everyone needs to have this list of people that you can call on when the times are tough or when you need a, you know, you need a last minute request from a customer before you're getting a deal done and you need to, to reach out to a group of three or four people. Document who these ace in the holes are because uh, it, sometimes it may be three months between talking to them. Uh, so have a list that you have put together and then encourage your team as you get together as a team to, to think through who's helped them in a pinch for a deal. Love it for sure. So that was kind of a bonus section, but you got to make sure that your team knows what that bigger group looks like. You have to nurture it for your team and you guys have to always stay in communication with those teams. One of our extended team members will remind you is Pigeon TV. That's P-I-J-N TV. We've talked about it a lot. Go subscribe today. Use promo code TSS and you'll get double the entries into their weekly drawing. Pigeon TV is the insight you need regarding emerging tech companies along with the prize money you deserve. They're giving out thousands of dollars every week. Uh, they're quick little training courses that give you up to date on, on who kind of the new players in the market are. It's great stuff. Everyone spend 30 seconds and go do that today. With that, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Don't be average, people. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.